Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Comic Geek Roundtable. My name is Tom Van Orden, your podcast director. Joining me are managing editor Adam Hauk. Hello. And professional replacement guest and friend of the show, Eric Lundquist. What up? He, uh, he came to us on short notice um, today, so thank you. Um, we talk about you a lot, so I figured it was about time that you showed your face on the podcast. I hope you don't have anything bad to say about me. Have Adam, have we ever said anything bad about him? I honestly do not remember, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> We're on episode 31, so I guess we've had a lot of... Uh, We've had a lot of time to discuss. We talk about card games quite a bit, so that and is that's usually the context of where you show up. That I yeah, imagine it's almost the only thing I do. <laughs> yes, so uh, as you can imagine, in that case, this episode of the Comedy Roundtable is going to be very card game centric. Um, there, it's we have officially entered Shadows Over Innistrad spoiler season. Um, that set releases in April. What a spoiler season it is so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, have you caught any of those uh, gorgeous, gorgeous shadows? Spoilers? Uh, I have seen the the new Avacyn. I'm a little bit pissed about that, actually, and that's kind of why I'm glad that we have this group here assembled. Great, go on. Uh, she is... She would totally have been my uh, angel tribal general for my EDH deck, with one glaring exception. What's spot? What's the problem? Uh, when she she only transforms off of non angels. <laughs> True. <laughs> and I do believe, if I remember correctly, that is whenever it, you have to control it for it to. Work. When archangel blah 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 blah. When a non angel creature you control dies, transform archangel Avison at the beginning of the next upkeep. Yeah. That being said, I mean, if you can manufacture the death of one of your things, a six five for four sounds pretty good. She's a five drop. RTFC, bro. Oh, yeah. That is true. RTFC. <laughs> Why the fuck did my brain say four? <laughs> I spent two days I spent two days looking at this fucking card, and as it turns out, it has been the wrong mana cost the whole time. So actually, at the very least, that means she goes in uh, my Kalemne deck. Absolutely. If she is a five drop. I'm playing that shit in my Aurelia deck. Yeah. She is, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of bummed because she would be a super cool Boros general for EDH, but her ability is kind of not spectacular for generalship. I don't know. Uh, the fact that she has flash is extremely relevant. Yeah. Uh, so she's obviously the commander of an aggressive deck, being a Boros that is red-white general. Uh, the fact that she comes in with Flash saves your army that you've assembled up into that point from a Wrath effect. And then if they try to kill any more of your stuff, she becomes a 6-5, which is an extremely threatening board presence. That is true. And I always kind of forget about the indestructible until end of turn. So that's not a bad that's not a bad gig. People, uh, <clears throat> people better fear when she what? sits on the field. I do think uh, it was really interesting how they made they, they made her a flip. I mean, it makes sense since we're going back to Innistrad. That's like the kit. I was pretty pleased. I can't remember what it, the first the first card that they spoiled that was a flip card. I was really stoked just because that confirmed the fact that that was the thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. I was kind of worried about it because at the end of the storyline for uh, the original Innistrad block, uh, all of the wolf all of the werewolves had the choice to become. Wolfier or be remain cursed or whatever. So I was concerned that they would all have swapped and there would not be any flip cards. 
Because I really like flip cards, and this time it seems like they're doing a better job of making less shitty ones. You are not the only one who really likes flip cards. Flip cards are really common, and Wizards, i.e. Mark Rosewater, has said on a number of occasions that the only reason they don't do them more frequently is the logistical difficulties in actually doing flip cards in a set that doesn't have lots of flip cards. Mm. Ah, so this set's going to have lots of flip cards, you say? Mm-hmm. Well, we already have a spoiler of one of the checklist cards that they print, uh to help people with flip cards if you're not playing with sleeves. Oh. Uh, and Avis, Archangel Avison doesn't appear on it. So does that mean there's more than one? That means there's more than one checklist card. Fuck. Ooh. Well, yeah, and the fact that, I mean, they're 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 spoiling uh, flip cards all over the all over the pie of rarities. So, like, there's commons that flip, uncommons that flip, rares, mythics. So yeah, it's clear that they're they're really going balls mm-hmm. to the wall. I mean, we had flips at all rarities the last time. Uh, you only have to look at the uh, Little Red Riding Hood vertical cycle. Little uh, Red Riding Hood vertical cycle. Yeah, in the original, uh, in the original um, Innistrad block, there were three cards. One was called. In any case, there were three cards. One of them was Little Red Riding Hood, and it's obvious from the art that it's a woman in a bright red hood walking through the forest. Uh, Another one is an old woman who transforms into a werewolf, and the third one was Huntmaster of the Fells, which actually broke into the standard format for a while. So all of the classic characters from the Little Red Riding Hood tale take the form of werewolves in this retelling. I like it. Where Uh, the big bad wolf is in every one of them. Whoa, that's fucking deep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Scorned Villager, by the way, is Little Red Riding Hood. Thank you. If you actually Google, if you actually Google Little Red Riding Hood MTG, it's the first result. Yeah. And then there's Lambholt Elder, which I assume is probably Grandma. Yep. And then the Huntmaster of the Fells, of course. Is that card worth anything? Uh, I remember it being really good in Standard, and it was pretty good in Modern for a while. Oh, it's mythic as fuck. It is a ten dollar card. Here's another flip card. Yeah. Ooh. Avicinian missionaries flips to uh, Lunark Inquisitors. Yeah. So I'm I'm running a big fan of Garolf's masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, with one glaring exception, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, the minus one minus one for each card in your hand. I mean, Ooh. it kind of has to balance the fact that it's a seven seven seven, seven for how much? Uh, five. Yeah. Not I mean, four, come it's on. Five. It's like. We 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 want to have that. I mean, it's fine, right? It's not broken. Not yet. sure. It's fine. I mean, really, what it means is that it's better after you've stapled it together from your graveyard, having <laughs> discarded three cards. That is true. Here's a thought. Um, how do you feel about the uh, investigate mechanic that they have going? I really like it. I think it's very interesting. Uh, it adds. Um, it. It adds a card draw, a little bonus to a spell in the same way that scrying or adding a cantrip does, but it does it at a little bit of a lower power level, so you don't have to increase the cost of the card to maybe not a aggressive cost just because it draws you a card. Yeah, I uh, I really like. I mean, just the flavor in general on everything, and that's why I like. That's why I like Innistrad as like a location for magic is because. They really seem to go all out on flavor with card building. 
mm-hmm. in, in sets like that. It was concepted as a top-down block from the beginning, uh, and that means that they took the concept of the horror show plane, the concept of like Little Red Riding Hood, and you start from that concept and then you build down until you have a card that represents it, as opposed to a bottom-up card where you design the mechanics for whatever reason and then find a way to justify the flavor of the card. So there's a common, speaking of flavor, there's a common uh, that I saw spoiled that I was wondering if it found a place in any of these reanimator decks that we see so much of. Uh, the card is Shard of Broken Glass. Mm. Uh, in I think that's hilarious. Equipment for one, whenever your creature attack, you may put the top two cards of your library into a graveyard. That seems like really dredge decky. Yeah. Uh, it definitely fuels the self-mill style that Innistrad rewards. Yeah. Not I, to mention, it is just a shard of broken glass. You're going to stab someone. Right? Oh my god, yeah. The flavor of that card is <laughs> top-notch. I'm not entirely sure what, like... The just, just uh, the mill represents, but I think it's probably like you're going mad because whatever has possessed you to defend yourself with nothing but a shard of broken glass <laughs> is probably attacking your mind as well as your body. I'll say the other the other thought here is that uh, whenever when see if it was a must ability and not a may ability, I would say that the flavor of it is probably if you use a shard of broken glass as a weapon. You have an offensive capability, but you're doing damage to yourself. Yeah, I would. That. I would normally flavor that as it like damaging you, like life loss. But uh, I think I'm a, I'm definitely okay with the mechanical way the card works. Yeah, uh, artifacts so far this set have been just delightful, just overall. And we have a we have another journal. Which um, do we know? per se what the planeswalker status is going to be this block have anybody heard any rumblings uh i was talking about it on our uh mtg chat the other night and we were going through all of the planeswalkers that have been mentioned so far uh and so we've got soren he's appeared in the art of declaration in stone which was nahiri's message (laughs) to him uh so we got Soren and Nahiri there on the plane. Jace has appeared prominently in the art for the set. Yeah, I mean, because he's here in Tamiyo's journal, and he's holding the journal. Yeah, so Jace is important. Um, I mean, Jace is always important. Tamiyo is being obliquely referenced, but mm. I don't think she's still on the plane based on what we've seen from her. Yeah. Uh, in addition to those four, uh, the werewolf planeswalker Arlen Cord who is very new and very awesome. And, yeah, I'm super stoked to see how they take Ooh, care of that. Ooh, Werewolf Planeswalker. Werewolf Planeswalker. That's super cool. She was a werewolf. She became a werewolf as a teenager, but she resisted the change mm-hmm. and rose within the ranks of the Avicinian Church to become an Archmaid of Gold Knight before she lost control of her transformation and murdered several of her churchgoers. Wow. And in the... The, in her angst over her failure and the murder of her comrades, her planeswalker spark ignited and she found herself on another world. Running through their forest as a wolf. Mm-hmm. Oh. What's interesting to me then is that she gained control of her wolf state enough yeah. because she could not transform, if I remember correctly, she could not transform back unless she was on Innistrad. Yeah. So she actually had to have enough control over her wolf form to planeswalk back to mm. Innistrad. 
to become a person again. Well, on the other plane, she had regained her human mind but kept her werewolf form. And so after returning to Innistrad, she discovered how to transform back and forth freely between her werewolf body and her human body, retaining her. So she's a, I mean, she's essentially a sentient werewolf. Yeah. So are we going to see her as a, as a flip card? I fully expect to see her as a flip planeswalker, similar to the way Garrick Relentless worked, Mm -hmm. uh, where she'll either have a triggered ability that lets you flip her back and forth between her sides on your upkeep, or she will potentially have a loyalty ability that transforms her back and forth. Okay. Yeah. uh, And I'm wondering, um, do you think that she'll flip... I mean, she'll... Flip as a planeswalker. I had heard somebody saying that maybe she'll flip and become a creature because of her werewolf. But I'm assuming if she has her human mind and her werewolf body, that she retains all of her magical abilities. Yeah, her her planeswalkerness is going to be more important than her werewolfness. I don't think that we're going to see a creature on the backside of a planeswalker. Although we might see a planeswalker on the backside of a creature. We've already seen that so far. But the mechanical issue with that setup is that in order for a creature front to turn over into a planeswalker it has to exile itself so that it can enter the battlefield with loyalty counters on it otherwise it just dies mm. oh because yeah because and that's that's not the way that transformation works in this set i mean at least that's not what i no, transformation it, can work a number of ways Right, but I'm saying like with the rest of the set mm-hmm. that nothing else flips like that. Everything yeah. else just kind of flips. I fully expect to see her as a two-sided planeswalker or at the very least her werewolf form be referenced by an ability that allows her to become a creature temporarily a la Gideon. Gideon! Gideon. Gideon, whatever. Gideon. I, like, I know I've said this before, but like Gideon has like the most badass like origin oh. story of like all the planeswalkers. Like it's it just paints him as a complete badass. God, rogue child on the streets of Acos, uh, <laughs> taken to jail and raised by the warden as his father figure until he earns his release from prison and becomes a warrior. And then, betrayed by his own hubris, he destroys his own friends in an altercation with the god of death itself. <laughs> yeah, that, you're right. That is the most badass origin yeah. story I can think of. Um, actually, I had a question about uh, origins while we're on the subject real quick. Uh, Jace Balaron. Yes. Uh, he is... Uh, Party in, Jace. Party Jace. The no. Fresh Prince of Balaron. <laughs> <laughs> So let me just take a second. Um, we everybody got a mentor card, like in the origins block. Like yes. They printed legendary creatures of their their origin. His was the Sphinx, correct? The Sphinx Alhamarat. Mm-hmm. So how did that come about? I'm actually not familiar with that. Well, how did he fight him? Or so Jace became came to be mentored by the Sphinx Alhamarat because when it was revealed that he was a telepath, uh, he sort of became an outcast. And Alhamarat took him in because uh, a telepath was useful to him. And Alhamarat was also a powerful telepath, and he trained him to be an infiltrator. And he would send Jace on missions to get information from the various warring factions on Vryn. Uh... 
and that's how that came about. And the story of their falling out is much longer and more involved. Something about him erasing his own mind. Oh, yeah, no, he did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Jace, Jace discovers that Alhamarat has been wiping portions of his memory and mm-hmm. that Alhamarat is actually not trying to, cause, to bring about peace on Vryn, but actually profiting from the ongoing conflict and using Jace as a pawn. And he starts to keep a journal... Uh, uh, collecting the information that he's learned and erasing his own memory of the journal and what he's learned to keep Alhamarat from learning what he's learned. And eventually he discovers that he is a planeswalker, but this is before his spark has ignited, and he confronts Alhamarat about it, and they have a mental conflict, and they're wrestling in each other's brains, and Jace kills Alhamarat by erasing his entire brain along with a significant portion of his own brain and in the process ignites his planeswalker spark and leaves Vryn and wakes up with plot convenient amnesia on another world <laughs> as a planeswalker with no memory of his previous life. So the question becomes if you if you wake up as a planeswalker with amnesia, do you remember how to planeswalk? Uh, apparently it is a innate ability that planeswalkers possess, and they just sort of know. That's weird. Now that, uh, that battle with Alhamar was depicted on, a, on, um, on a, a card in Origins. Mm-hmm. Absent Minds. Yes, Absent Minds was a great card. Yes, yes it is. Is it, a, is it actually a great card? Or no, it's an awful card. I don't remember <laughs> what it does, and therefore it's probably bad. Uh, let me bring it up here. But the art is fantastic, and it looks gorgeous in foil. Oh, and that's all that actually matters, is how good a card looks in foil. Oh, no, it, like, the art for it is super beautiful. No, I'm not. I'm being serious. All that matters is that the card looks good. Yeah. yeah. Much like, I am going to try and collect as many copies of Pick the Brain as I possibly can. Oh, man, I bet that card looks stupid hot in foil. <laughs> Sorry, you said stupid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Not every card can be playable, but every card can look awesome in foil and should. I do agree with that, actually. Um, most things should be uh, pretty, at least in foil, because, like, what's the point otherwise? I mean, if the card's unplayable, it at least should be good to look at. <laughs> oh, dude, speaking of art, I'm just... I. Casually searching through cards here. Oh, yeah, Jason's entire backstory here on the website. Uh, Hive Mind has a terrifying art, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. It's a bunch of people with Mind Slavers on their heads. Or, like, Mind Slaver-looking things, anyway. Head crab mind control machines? Yeah, sort of <laughs> stuff like that. Half-Life? Yeah, exactly. With Half-Life head crabs. All right, uh, real quick, we're going to take a break for an ad, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the other uh, spoilery things that are occurring in the Magic Universe. Be right back. Crunchyroll is a service dedicated to giving you the latest anime from Japan. We talked to Nicole from Vancouver, who's been subscribed for over two years. Here's what they had to say. The quality of everything is always superb. It makes it so I don't have to, like, go to the dingy corners of the internet to try and find the things that I want to watch. When it came to getting the latest shows, Nicole was pretty impressed. Honestly, their selection is really good when it comes to newer and more obscure anime. And why is that? Because you have access to nearly all of them from Crunchyroll. And there you have it. Go to commongeek.tv slash affiliates to get your own free two-week trial for Crunchyroll. And we're back. Thank you very much for sitting through advertisements. Your support really does help us out here at the show. Um, so, as I promised, we're going to continue talking about card games. Uh, Bob be damned. 
Yes, we're going to start playing them on motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I would, the thing I, that is interesting to me the most lately about um, card games, believe it or not, is the new From the Vault, which is From the Vault lore. And I'm trying to figure out in my brain Ooh. what the hell that means. Like, I know what it means. It means, like, they're going to reprint cards that are important to the story of Magic, but, like... So, probably Jace. When you got cards, like, from the Vault... From the Vault Realms or from the Vault Angels, you kind of had an idea... Or Dragons. Yeah. You had an idea that of... Bolus. ...what was going to be in it. But now I have, I have honestly no clue what is going to occur. I imagine from the Vault lore is going to be a similar product to uh, from the Vault 20... Uh, which they released for the 20th anniversary of Magic about three years ago. Oh. It's just going to be an eclectic mix was, of whatever. It was an eclectic collection of some of the highest profile, most famous cards from the history of Magic, I believe. They hit Jace the Mind Sculptor in that particular one. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and it remains the cheapest way to get one. <laughs> Sadly, it is. I, I do... I, I actually take pride in the fact that I have uh, an original set, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Could you imagine... Could you imagine how awesome you would fucking feel if you managed to pick up that from the vault box at retail? Oh, my God. <laughs> MSRP, $35. It's writes its happy birthday gift to the brick-and-mortar card stores. <laughs> That's why when From the Vault Angels was going to come out, I actually was really tempted to buy it from, like, get the comic book store to order it in for yeah. me. Because I knew that the comic book store always sells magic at MSRP, uh, which is why you buy a box there for 120 bucks Because <laughs> they sell it for the price of 36 packs. Yeah. Which, I mean, it is what it is. You can get a box elsewhere for, like... 90 but by the time you're done paying shipping after you get it from uh, eBay or Amazon eBay you gotta prime that shit yeah. or you have to walk into a store that you don't want to walk into <laughs> <laughs> we never talk about that here ever aggressive um yeah uh but yeah I, I was really tempted to do that and depending on what they put in this one I might do it I don't know I've never wanted to really buy a from the vault set but I am pissed at myself that I not did not buy from the vault angels I have never bought a From the Vault set, and that is because I don't like them. I think the foiling process that they use on the cards is hot garbage. Mm. It does It does tend to stay bent real easy. I'll tell you what, it looks like, um, the foiling on it looks like those, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember what they were. Looks it was like, like someone like, painted the cards with a yeah. sheen of antifreeze. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of like those... There, there were like these, uh, those promo Yu-Gi-Oh cards back in the day. Yo, that fuck were you! So thick. You should really look at that foil. pile of Yu-Gi-Oh cards behind you, though, because uh, that I have a thousand of those. I it's bought probably garbage. Every I would pay you money to not look at Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yeah. <laughs> every single, every single tin that came out with a, a special tin foil in it, I fucking bought. Like during the time that I played Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. It was like, if you buy this tin, you get a Blue-Eyes White Dragon. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I want that. I love how everyone always goes to Blue-Eyes White Dragon thinking it's like the best card in Yu-Gi-Oh! It's not. I mean, it's good. I mean, so it's good. like the most iconic card. In it, I mean, it is. Maybe next to the Dark Magician, but Blue-Eyes White Dragon is the one that everyone remembers. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, 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 well, it's funny because people like like shit on Blue Eyes for being like a vanilla monster and everything, but it's still actually really relevant considering like they came out with like uh, a specific blue eyes themed deck 
that made it possible to summon blue eyes in like one turn. So like, or like other blue eyes support cards that came so, out. So like the question becomes: in your typical competitive Yu-Gi-Oh game, what percentage of cards are vanilla? Like, do they even play vanilla creatures anymore? Uh, it really depends on what the archetypes have. I mean, okay. there are uh, there is there is one archetype that really uses uh, vanilla cards, and that's the uh, the hieratic dragons uh-huh. archetype. And it basically it works on getting like a vanilla card to the field, and then you have another card in your hand that you sack that vanilla card for to use that ability. Huh. So really, the only function of vanilla monsters in Yu-Gi-Oh! is, to, is as fuel for cards Effect that work, actually yeah. do shit. Or unless it's blue eyes, then it's just fun and you run them in the face with it. True. That's so, that is just so interesting to me. Like, looking at... It always comes back to Hearthstone for me. Like, Hearthstone has what I would call vanilla creatures. Like, mm-hmm. they're just... Creatures with a mana cost and a power toughness, and then maybe one or two keywords. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're so fucking relevant. Really? Like, oh, yeah, like, uh, the Anoyatron is so relevant because it's a 1 2 for 2, but it has Taunt and Divine Shield, which means it has to be attacked and it can survive damage once. I mean, back in the old days of Yu Gi Oh, like, vanilla cards were all, pretty much almost all there was. Yeah, Dark Magician. Effects were, like, the lies, rare things. Yeah. But now, nowadays, everything has to have an effect, or else it can't stay relevant. I think that's that's a, that's a threat of power creep just in card games in general. Because mm-hmm. like right. even, even in Hearthstone, like creatures that have effects are becoming more and more and more and more powerful. Because once once you start making something with an effect, then then you change the game. Yeah, like exactly. then then things are going to start getting more broken, and you have to make another creature with a, an effect to kind of balance it out, and then it just keeps snowballing. Like. I think, and I also think though that effects are a really necessary design space to get into because how many variations of a five five for five can you actually make? Yeah, if you're not actually printing monsters with effects, uh, like there's only three efficient configurations that a five drop monster can come in like five four four five 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 four six six four whatever like yeah and but once you've printed all of those like unless you're getting into the business of printing equivalent cards you may as well start printing some cards with abilities and sure the cards with abilities will obsolete the cards that don't have abilities but it just gives you so much more flexibility with the kind of effects that you're playing. Now, the real question is uh, that, I mean, there are, even in Magic, there are cards that cost the same and have the exact same power and toughness and are vanilla. Like, yeah. That's a thing, right? Yes. Yeah. For instance, uh, Traveling Philosophers and uh, Grizzly Bears are... Not bears. The same power and toughness and the same converted mana cost. They're different colors, but they may as well be the same card. Yeah, because I'm even looking. I'm even looking like green right now. I actually pulled it up. Uh, there are two cards within the first maybe six or so cards that are three threes for three. There's like Centaur Corsair, which is a vanilla three three for three, and then there's Gnarled Mass, which is a vanilla three three for three. So like obviously Wizards doesn't have a problem of reprinting. Uh, the exact same card on something else as long as it's a common. And I mean wizards uh, sometimes it's relevant to print these cards for uh, limited formats. 
because when you're playing draft or sealed, uh, a lot of these common cards that never really are going to have a chance to see play in any kind of competitive format really shine in your limited formats. Like, for in, let's take Snapping Drake, for instance. He's a 3-2 for 4 with flying. That's nothing. Like, on, at the kitchen table, it's not that impressive. Uh, in EDH, it's a non-card. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it literally might as well be a piece of paper. Yeah, no one's going to play it in standard, but... When you're in in limited, you fear those three power flyers for four mana. Yeah, like, yeah. they're definitely strong cards in that in in that system. Well, and even that and that that kind of rolls around like in Hearthstone, the arena, which is their draft format. Right. Uh, I mean, vanilla creatures reign supreme. Like the freaking uh, there's a yet the yeti Chowin yeti God four Chowin five yeti. for what is it four five for four Chowin five for four yeah it, it's it's. It's pretty much broken. It's like an immediate grab. The only yeah. thing I would you would grab more over it would probably be the mechanical version, which is a four or five for four that gives you a spare part when it dies. Yeah. So yeah, it's just really it's really interesting how different like how how quickly like in a game it's we really get to experience it in a game like Hearthstone because we've kind of essentially been playing since almost the beginning to watch how power creep works. Yeah. Because like we didn't you don't really see that you can't see it. In Magic so much, because compared to games like Hearthstone, Magic has been around for so long that at this point it almost feels like it moves glacially. Well, and Magic, the developers of Magic are very, very smart, and they're very, very careful. And they actually make a concerted effort to control power creep. And I mean, it happens glacially, like every time they print a card that... Uh, obsoletes another high-profile card. It happens, but it happens very, very slowly because they're not—they're not creeping the benchmark of creatures. Like they're not about to go out and just decide that this set green gets a three-three for two, and that's its baseline. Like two-two for two is still the baseline that creatures exist at, but. They might print a three three for two, with a drawback, or no drawback, and that card exists. But the existence of that card doesn't mean that they now have to print three threes for two as a benchmark, because that card is an exception, and its extra size is its selling point as a card that makes it unique. Um. Yes. Oh yeah, it does exist. Colonian Tusker. Yep. Is a 3 3 for 2, and that's it. That was printed in a corset, which don't exist anymore. Rip and piece corsets. Yeah, really. Um, and yeah. can anyone tell me how relevant that card was? <laughs> I don't know. It even wasn't! <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. It, so. it was printed in a year that I played Magic, and I had no idea it existed. I yeah. probably have like five of them in my box. How often do you honestly find yourself even looking at commons and uncommons anymore? I still do, considering, like. Well, well, me specifically, because I was looking at a lot of the. Commons and uncommons for um, for Zendikar because of fishing out more Eldrazi's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know I did notice that with with these modern decks that have the Eldrazi's, a lot of the a lot of the Drazi's that they run are like rares and stuff. But you can gain serious advantage with some of these commons and uncommons if they're cheaper. Actually, a lot of the from what I've been noticing, a lot of the commons since I think Origins have gotten, I guess, better than like than like they've been. 
Like, because it used to be, like, you just look at common and you'd automatically, you know, like, oh, this is garbage, like, un- unbalanced cost for the effect or anything. But I've been looking at a few of the commons, and they seem, like, pretty balanced and not bad, I honestly. Mean, and then there are, of course, there are cards that are printed at common that are, like, staple, like Harrow. Yeah. And Cultivate and, like, you know. Oh, Cultivate. <laughs> Just like uh, explore, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I guess really we're just saying that ramp spells, yeah, no, fucking are always common. It's relevant. There are baseline effects that you get at common that see play a lot, like countering spells unless your opponent pays mana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's why I love, uh, um, not of this world because <laughs> it's, it? it's just like. Uh, <laughs> You're going to pay a lot, and it's going to get countered. Oh my god, that is actually a thing that exists. What, not of this world? Yeah. I, oh, I love that card. We, we, me and Eric often have talked about colorless. Like, what the fuck does colorless actually do? And more and more as time goes on, it appears as though all colorless does is the same thing that colors does, but more expensive. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely what colorless does, because it doesn't actually have, like, a defining characteristic. Uh, it's got somewhat of, like a self-referential vibe where artifacts interact with artifacts and the colorless matters mechanics from the newest Eldrazi sets uh, make that work. But really, black can tutor for a card, for one card at two mana, and colorless can do it at six. Or sacrifice three artifacts, you can go find another artifact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or sacrifice Eldrazi spawns, you get more colorless mana. There... That uh, I, I do laugh because there's that new card in Shadows that is essentially a poor man's Forge Master. Mm. Uh, You're talking about Tamiya's journal. Yeah, yeah, the journal. It's, it's, yeah. It, it, I mean, it says you sacrifice clues and you get to go look for something. I think that card is very, very cool. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, in my EDA check, I'm just going to use Ring of Three Wishes, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll play uh, Mind's Eye before I play that. Because yeah. at five mana, Mind's Eye lets you pay one to draw a card whenever an opponent draws a card. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. So you can draw lots more cards for lots less mana, but the nice thing about Tamiya's journal is that there are obviously other sources of clues out there besides the journal. So at, at face value, it says draw a card each turn for two mana, which isn't inefficient for a colorless card draw engine. Or wait three turns and tutor. But what it really says is if you've got some clues already, mm-hmm. tutor immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was looking through some more of the spoilers for that, and there was another card with, uh, with Investigate on it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a fair... There's a couple Investigate one. is, yeah, there's popped uh, up a couple times. There's yeah. a Ghost Bishop card that gives you a clue every time you cast a creature with converted mana cost three or less. Ooh. And there is... Uh, Declaration in Stone, uh, which is an amazing card. The art on it is fantastic. Do you think you'll do you think you'll run that in anything? Uh, I actually might. But for that- for anyone who is listening, Declaration in Stone is a one mana sorcery that exiles target creature and all other creatures its controller controls it's two with the <laughs> same name as that creature. That player investigates for each non token creature exiled this way. So for each non-token creature that you hit, they get a clue that they can sacrifice for two mana to draw a card. 
Uh, but really, the selling point on Declaration of Stone is that they don't get a clue for non-token for token creatures that you hit with it. So if they've played a big token producer like Avenger of Zendikar, and you tag one of their or plant Antoine. tokens with Declaration in Stone, you take all of their plants and they get oh. nothing. But my favorite part about the card is actually its art. The Wait, art. so you can hit tokens, but yeah. you don't get a clue from tokens? Yes. Yeah, exile target creature, no restriction, and each creature with the same name as that creature, its controller controls. Oh, shit. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah oh, so, is. hey, you know how you like to... Swir- like, I just know, um, Spe- like, one of Spencer's decks, he was really all about, like, Ant Queen and everything, and there would just be, like, fucking Ant tokens all over the field. So, that's just like, oh, fuck your tokens. I don't yeah. give a shit anymore. The, <laughs> the art, though, on that card depicts Soren Markov, the vampire planeswalker native to Innistrad, Standing in the foyer of what was once his familial estate, and the entire house has been twisted into this M.C. Escher-like mess, (laughs) and the corpses of his vampire brethren are embedded in the walls and floors. Oh, that's so metal. And... The flavor text indicates that Nahiri is extremely unhappy with Soren, and she did this to make it clear to Soren uh, what it is. Oh, that's oh, that's so cool! And I'm just like imagining Soren trying to redecorate after all of this mess, <laughs> and like he's just like well, a using a place paint to hang roller, and he's just rolling wallpaper onto a snarling vampire face. <laughs> Yeah. So, since you mentioned it, uh, Nahiri's back, and yes. she's not happy. Do you think they're going to kill Soren? It's possible, but I doubt it. Uh, I'm just really more interested in why Nahiri is so happy because is so unhappy because we don't know much about her other than these facts. One, after the mending, Nahiri was mortal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was hundreds I mean, of years ago. That's still cause for being pretty pissed. In, in the timeline. <laughs> but the fact is that she's still alive hundreds of years after she should be dead. Right. So we don't know how she's still alive. Magic. And we know that yeah. from Soren's conversation <laughs> with Eugene the spirit dragon... Uh, Eugene. <laughs> it's probably Ugin, but I prefer to call him Eugene because he's a colossal nerd. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That Soren is the reason that Nahiri is missing. Okay. But he won't. He wouldn't tell Ugin what had happened to her. Uh, and I mean, he, Ugin, Ugin's pretty pissed at uh, like Jason Chandra right now. Yeah. Yugen is pretty much in, you're useless to me, get out of my face mode. Yeah, Yugen's just like, you are very lucky that I'm not killing you right now. I'm <laughs> so I do, I do legitimately think it's worth mentioning. Is I do wonder if if maybe Nahiri knows something about why the Eldrazi should not be killed, and that's why she's pissed. She probably knows something. Um, I think the fact that she's pissed is probably more likely related to whatever Soren had to do to her mm-hmm. uh, for her to be alive at the moment. She's a vampire. 
Yeah, maybe he turned her into a vampire against her will. Maybe he sealed her in some kind of extraplanar prison similar to the way Avacyn was sealed inside the Hella Vault. If we've learned one thing about him, it's that he's really good at sealing people and things. (laughs) It's like his power. Actually, he's not. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Uh, Avacyn was the one who sealed Gristlebrand in the Hella Vault and got imprisoned there in uh, in turn because he dragged her with him. And look at how that turned out. Yeah. You get some dumb dumb lady swinging into your plane of You get Sam Winchester. Yeah. Well, Soren came back to Innistrad all, man, I have this huge mess here that I need to fix. Where the hell is my archangel? And he got distracted fighting Tybalt, who's this crazed pain mage, while Liliana showed up all ash from Evil Dead and raised (laughs) I just imagined Liliana coming in groovy. (laughs) Game over. And she made Talia break open the hell of vault because black mages can't destroy artifacts. <laughs> <laughs> you do the thing. Why yeah. would I do the thing? Because I've raised an army of the dead and I'm laying siege to your town. Did I mention I'm a bad guy? Do it. Do so, it. Do it. Do it. So do the it. Do it. Was, were there zombies on Innistrad before she showed up? Sure. Yeah. All over the place. Uh, there's this whole war going on between two famous necromancers, uh, their brother and sister. Their names are Geralf and Giza, and Giza is a ghoul caller. She summons undead from their graves, and Geralf is a stitcher. That is, he's literally Dr. Frankenstein. Geralf of Rivia. And they, like, spend their days raising armies of the undead and waging war against each other. And they don't really care who gets in the way. So oh, that's like, fun. If one of their pets dies, do so they just make another one? Yeah, absolutely. Can they make a zombie from the same one? Sure, why not? Because that's not how it works in The Walking Dead. Double no. zombie. You're a double zombie. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because The Walking Dead are virus zombies, and magic zombies are necromantic zombies. Ah, yes, of course, necromancy. It's totally legal in uh, Oblivion at the time that that game takes place. Yes. No, it wasn't. If you, there's like a whole plot line uh, um, in Oblivion where the one guy got kicked out of the Mages Guild because he was practicing necromancy. Yeah, that was the that was the uh, quest line for the for the that was that was the Mages Guild quest line because you went and killed Madarak. Yeah, yeah. It sure was. Uh, Manamarco. Manamarco. Was it Manamarco? Manamarco. Yeah, Manamarco. Yeah. That's right, Manamarco. King of Worms. Who uh, relevantly is in. Um, what a fucking uh, ESO. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is he? Because yeah, ESO takes place like 800 years or something before Oblivion. And it's like the... Because like in the trailer for ESO, you see the uh, the tower yeah. in um, Cyrodiil. And like Man Marco is like the like the one who controls okay. uh, the, the thief guy. So my question is, when are we getting Elder Scrolls 6? Um, I actually saw something about it. Um, 
<laughs> the article very snarkily said, why would we ever want to go to Black Marsh, which is apparently what the rumor is. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard bad it's the only Black place Marsh. we haven't been, right? Uh, we have not been. We've been to Hammerfall, Sierra Dale, Morrowind, Skyrim. I don't believe we've visited elsewhere. Or, or oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Akavir, either. Ooh, I would like to. I would like to see Akavir. That'd be cool. So to have like desert temples and pyramids and shit. Yeah, all the, like the dragon people. Oh, and there's fucking and just the fucking sabers, like yeah, the scimitars. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So what I'm hearing, uh, what I read in that article was that um, that they're they're not actively developing it yet, nor is yet. it confirmed that that's what it's called. However, I would like to point out to everybody... Well, they're still working on... They're working on... The uh, last game that Bethesda released, they didn't tell us anything about it until four months before they released it, and they're like, surprise, Fallout 5! (laughs) It was four. Whatever, I don't know what number these games are. I mean, technically it's five, because New Vegas is in there. (laughs) That's true. New Vegas is little more than an expansion pack Mm -hmm. to Fallout 3, but it was really its own game. Yeah, kind of like how uh, uh, Red Dead Undead Nightmare is... Way better than regular Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> like, categorically, yeah. across the board. God, I loved Red Dead Redemption. I really need to play that game again. I want... I never actually did. I, I, I mean, I did briefly, but... I want something that'll never happen. I want it on my PC. God, yeah. That game oh. is so pretty. Oh, fun fact. Um, uh, in GTA on GTA 5 Online, yeah. uh, you when you create a character, you pick... Um, your ancestry, like right, your, right, your right. parents and your grandparents. One of the grandparent grandfathers you can pick is the fucking dude from Red Dead, John Marston. Yeah, John Marston is like your can be your grandfather. That is amazing. Or like great grandfather. Also, does or not work with timeline. At Whatever. All. It, the fact that you can you can have your ancestor be John Marston is pretty fucking cool. I am not going to disagree with you, but at the same time, my statement still stands. Maybe not sense. your direct grandfather, but like your great 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 grandfather. Yeah, it's. It, I can't remember how many tears it goes He's through. At least my average grandfather. All I remember from that game was like. I had every achievement but the dastard achievement, which you get for tying up a woman and leaving her on a train track. (laughs) By trains. Wait, you can do that? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, wait, oh, in Red Dead. In Red Red Dead Dead Redemption, you can hogtie people. Oh, that's cool. I hadn't done it because it just felt terrible and I didn't like the idea of doing it. (laughs) And then I was riding my horse through Mexico and, like... This woman comes running out, screaming for help, and when I get off my horse to help her, her three accomplices jump out from behind the wagon and try to murder me, Mm. and I, of course, killed them, and... Well, this is now justified. Yep. I decided that, you know what? No. If you're going to try to lure me to my death, so I hogtied her, threw her on my horse, rode back to America, because that's where they had trains. (laughs) Oh, and then he threw her on the tracks and said, see you later. I rode off into the sunset. And did, did you and then your t- mustache? <laughs> yep. I rode off into the sunset, and 20 minutes later, I got the bleedoo message. <laughs> <laughs> Achievement unlocked. You monster. Oh, that's fantastic. Horrible things. Uh, uh, trains in GTA uh, GTA Five Online are indestructible. Ah, uh, like yeah, you can't even can you like derail them at all? No, there have been numerous like Achievement Hunter has even done like numerous videos where they put like uh, like ten dump trucks <laughs> in the line <laughs> and the train just plows through them. <laughs> you can't even stop it. I uh, 
I don't know. I miss... It's a completely unstoppable, unstoppable uh, force. I really miss... What's it called? I really missed in um, San Andreas that you could fucking steal the train. And you there's nowhere you could go. You're, like, you're stuck on tracks and it's the yeah. only train. And like, you're saying like you could run into another train. There's only one train that just constantly loops through the, through the area. Uh, you could derail it if you went too fast or if you crashed into a car or something. And it was awesome. But yeah, they, they took that away. Hey, Tommy. What? Uh, since you like, San, you like San Andreas a lot. No, I actually really did not. Really? Yeah. My favorite Grand Theft Auto game is Vice City. Well, since you like Vice City so much, oh, no. you know that you can get Vice City on PS4. Yeah, I did know that, but I also don't care because I have uh, right. GTA Five on my PC. GTA Five is so much fun. All I remember about Vice City was using the gun on the tank as a propellant device to go faster. Uh, that was three. No, three it was did. they did in Vice City. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I did. I did in three. I mean, Vice City skip over to the next. Do you, know, area. do you know how I know for a fact that he is talking about Vice City? Because you know whose fucking copy of Vice City he did that on? Mine. <laughs> yeah, you could you could also put in the cheat that made cars fly if you mm-hmm. went fast enough, and you could get a tank to fly. I mean, that's but that's only, I, only if you fired the gun constantly. Well, as that's a kind a, of rocket engine. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I did in GTA Three to get to the next area without doing the story. I just turned on the low gravity cheat and used the tank to just fire backwards and just slowly just lift it off. And <laughs> hey, I was over that immovable barrier, and now yeah. I have the rest of the city. There you go. Wow. And it's really easy to get to the third part of the city in GTA 5, or GTA 3 because it's just an underground what are tunnel we seeing next now? to it. Oh, sorry. I said wow because I tried to log on to Forbes to get a hold of that article that I read. And uh, apparently if you try to log on to their website, if you have ad blocker, they say, no, turn off ad blocker. So you click – and then it has a countdown. I was like, fucking whatever. And I hit click continue. And it takes me right back to that screen that it says, no, turn off ad blocker. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I got stuck in a loop. I did not realize that that was a thing. Oh, no. Okay, that's not something relevant to this discussion. Anyway, uh, I'm going to call that there, kids. We're, <laughs> at a, we're at a good spot. Yeah. So, uh, we are. Because I'm about to tell a story that's probably not appropriate for the podcast. Okay, we'll hear that later. Um, <laughs> right now, I have the Robert Job of social media. All right. If you are looking for Common Geek, you can find us on our website at commongeek.tv where we post articles, reviews, and this here podcast. Uh, on Twitter, we can be found at Common Geek TV. Send us a tweet with the hashtag CGRT so we know that you are listening. We need to know. Um, and you can follow us on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash Common Geek TV. That is where we post everything. It's, uh, yeah. Earthang. Earthang. You can find me on Twitter at TVOJR. Uh, Adam. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Adam Alhefek. And Eric, is there anywhere that anybody can find you? Uh, you can find me for what it's worth at immortalwitness.tumblr.com. There you go. Honestly, it's hard enough to find you in real life. <laughs> I mean, you, you, don't, you don't work with him, so no, that's literally the opposite of I true. do exist online, though. Talk to you me do. at yes. immortalwitness.tumblr.com. I promise I'll respond. <laughs> oh god well there's a uh i forget there's some facebook there was some like company on facebook who their motto was we we answer everybody oh really Where it was like it was like a, a youtuber like somebody who's like yeah i answer everybody and i was like no that's bullshit there's no way and then i looked at his youtube or his facebook page and was like holy shit he actually answers every single person wow so careful what you dig yourself into uh so I have nothing better to do with my life, honestly. <laughs> okay, so, so here's uh, here's a real problem that I have. We spent this whole thing talking about.
podcast or about uh, card <laughs> games. We took this entire podcast talking about card games. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a have a call your mom thing for this, like at all. If you want to get your mom into card games, <laughs> if you want to tie up your mother and put her on the train all tracks, right. well, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> for an achievement. I apologize, Robert. Call your mom. 